0: Has anyone ever thought theologically going through morning traffic? <laughs> Bobby has, I bet you. <laughs> He's a scholar. <laughs> but most people raising their kids, considering the war in Ukraine or the violence in Chicago, uh, are raising children, uh, paying taxes. I mean, where does theology fit into everyday Life. So for many people in the church, we become fragmented. We have our theological lives, then we have our everyday lives. And and that is a problem when we consider real discipleship. Um, J.I. Packer describes theology this way he says, Theology, and this is a theologian, by the way, theology is for achieving God's glory and humankind's good through every life activity, through living. We fulfill our theology. Henry Nguyen, the priest, the author, says this. I thought this quote was particularly powerful. He says, Theolo- the- a theology is not primarily a way of thinking, but a way of what? Of living. How does our life become one of discipleship? We need to connect theology with everyday living. Uh, Alan Hirsch, who's at the forefront of, of disciple-making, he leads this group called the 100 Movement uh, Collective. He's from Wheaton. Um, he has this beautiful Venn diagram where he says, you know, you have to take orthodoxy, in other words, what we believe about theology, and you need to take orthopathy. That's our feelings of God and our theology. And man, praise God as a church, we went through that Let's Talk About series. And if you know, let's not let that be a one-off So key that we are a church who considers the truth and the validity of emotional thinking and emotional health. But how do we take our orthopathy, our feelings, and then bring in orthopraxy, which is the actions, and and how do we combine these three to discover that at the center of that exists what? Discipleship. Discipleship is bringing together our thinking of God The feelings and the emotions that draw us closer to God and applying it to what? To practice. That's where discipleship lives. We have another graph that kind of explains that, and that's this. This is maybe something you've heard about before, right? It's about the head, it's about the heart, and it's about the hands. How do we move our orthodoxy to our orthopathy to become part of our everyday orthopraxy? That's discipleship. And can I just take this a step further and add a fourth H? That when the head, the heart, and the hands are linked together, they create habits. And discipleship doesn't become something that it only happens now on a Sunday morning context or over a Zoom meeting or at a small group. It becomes part of your everyday life. The habit of discipleship. From the head to the heart to the hands. So my plan is to show how these three pieces fit here quickly um, in Acts chapter 8 and what Philip and the eunuch were experiencing as they went traveling down this desert road. How was the orthodoxy present? How was the orthopathy present? And how was the orthopraxy present? And how did that result in this very marginalized, excluded um, human being who was seeking God to say, I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart. Hey, I'm not going to wait. I want to get baptized right now. There's some water. What would stop me? That's discipleship. These three cannot exist. Before we go further, it's important that I clarify this. These three cannot exist in isolation. Orthodoxy that exists in isolation creates Pharisees who are just about legalism and religion and what it says and it's all intellectual, but it never transfers to the heart. They're usually cold, they're judgmental, they don't, they're not receiving and welcoming of people. Orthodoxy and isolation creates Pharisees. Um, orthopathy creates activists, people who are just drawn by every cause and every um, stroke of their heart, whatever their heart bleeds for, they're going to throw their energy and their life into that, and orthopathy and isolation will create activism, which is not... You know, if it's not powered by the Spirit, it's going to lead to burnout and very little results for discipleship. And then orthopraxy is, is, is just going to be people who are, um, um, you know, works-oriented in faith and nothing more. It's right. It's going to become social activism. So the three cannot be residing in isolation. We need to bring those together, as Philip did here with the eunuch, and see the results of true discipleship. So let's begin with orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, the right beliefs um, in discipleship. And, and, and my points today are not going to be terribly groundbreaking for you, but they're great reminders of what discipleship is because, again, we've become a church culture that's over-explained discipleship. When at its core, it's very simple. It's very practical. So orthodoxy, and, and we find this here in verse 26, And 29 in Acts, where you see the angel of the Lord say to Philip, go down this desert road. Again, a a rattling call of God for him to leave his place of success, of comfort in Samaria, where Philip was absolutely killing it, and to go to Gaza. And yet what? Philip responds by going. The second command here of God was, after he's going down the desert road, to then go up to the carriage. The Spirit, once again, speaks to Philip and says, go over and walk by the carriage. Um, this was a, a nonspecific call. God wasn't um, speaking to Philip saying, hey, you're going to go, you're going to encounter a eunuch. This is what's going to happen. The details were not explained to him, but it's a command. It's, it's a voice. It's, a, it's a, a presence that Philip feels, and Philip responds in obedience. He responds in obedience. Sometimes God's call doesn't always make sense, right? But your response to the call is what is important. So where does discipleship begin when we think of orthodoxy, when we think of God and our thoughts of God? Discipleship begins, this is the first point, discipleship begins with the belief that God is sovereign and in control. There's no way Philip is going to follow through on the command to leave his place of comfort and success to go to Gaza down a desert road unless he truly believes in his head that the person speaking is sovereign and in control. And we will never move forward in our life as disciple-makers if we cannot settle the fact, is God really in control of my life? When we settle that, we move in confidence, That if God says go, what do we do? We go. Why? Because he's sovereign. Because he's in control. This idea, this belief that God is the creator of all things, that he is the author and finisher of our faith, that he's sovereign and powerful, causes us to put our faith and our trust in him alone. And our faith and trust in God leads us to worship and adore him. And that compels us to walk a, a life every day. That's pleasing to him relationally, not religiously, but relationally. And part of that is what? Obedience. Now, Philip's call to go down the desert road is much more dramatic, right? An angel appears. It's really God saying, hey, you're going over there. The spirit speaks to him clearly. says, run next to the carriage. You may not experience such a dramatic shift in your life when you're experiencing opportunities for everyday discipleship. But man, maybe there's a time where you're walking past somebody who's struggling, homeless in the street, and you hear God saying, hey, go over and love on that person. It's not as dramatic as an angel appearing. But do we respond to that? You see, if we don't really feel that God is in control and that he's sovereign above all things, we might blow off that command and go about our daily life. And that's really telling God, hey, you're not in control here. I am. And we miss opportunities for everyday discipleship. The application of this faith that God is in control, that God is sovereign, is what causes Philip to move in complete abandonment, in in, in complete uh, disregard for the ridiculousness of the ask that God is asking him to do. You need to consider the ridiculousness of this command to leave Jerusalem, leave the center of your ministry life, Philip, and go to Gaza. Yet he does it. Now we have to consider the eunuch as well. Here was a man who was obviously under the authority and sovereignty of God by him going to Jerusalem to worship. You see there's some details here and, and intentionally I, I wasn't going to spend an entire lot of the message describing you know, the, the uniqueness of a eunuch. Um, but a eunuch was sexually mutilated. He was in service... To the Kandesi, which were the queens and the, the royalty of Nubia, of this, of this African kingdom, and because this eunuch was in such close proximity to the queens and to the royal family, as a matter of them saying, hey, I'm going to do my job and I'm not going to be about any other agendas, I will allow my sexuality to be mutilated, so there's no possibility for sexual relations with the royalty, and I will do my job well. And here's someone who's experienced that, and under Jewish law, because he was sexually mutilated, he would never be allowed to partake in temple worship. He would be rejected. He would be denied entrance, not only because of that, but also he was an African. He was black. He wasn't Jewish. Philip was a jewish man and in this culture jewish men when they woke up in the morning they said a prayer and their prayer basically went something like this uh, jewish men would say thank you god that you didn't make me a woman you didn't make me a slave and you didn't make me a gentile that was a prayer and here's someone who's a uh, gentile they're not jewish Uh, They're a eunuch, so they're seen as somebody who's an outcast in Jewish custom, Jewish temple worship ritual, would never be allowed. But yet, Philip goes and approaches this man. Why? Because he believes that God is leading him. And if God is leading him, and if God is sovereign, and God is true, and God is powerful, what is our job to do then? To obey God. And that's where discipleship begins. The greatest discipleship moments in our life will usually come through everyday decisions that you make to be more like Jesus, to be more like Jesus. Listening to your children explain their day to you is an opportunity for discipleship when you choose to be more like Jesus. The way you pray, your humility, your compassion, your self-control, your faith are great opportunities for discipleship. This was a genuinely human interaction What was human about this interaction is that they both had choices. Philip didn't have to listen to God. Jonah didn't. That's what makes our relationship with God unique, is that it's uniquely human in that we have choices. We're not automatons that are just given over to obey God. God does not make you or force you to do anything. He gives you free will. So when us, out of our free will, we choose To love and obey and to put faith and trust in God. It builds us relationally with him. It builds our faith. And it's what allows us to go down desert roads that sometimes don't make any sense. Why? Because our orthodoxy says, God, you're in control. And if that's where you want me to go, that's where I will go. That's where discipleship begins. The second point is orthopathy. Right feelings. The right feelings. Verse 30 says that Philip, he overhears the eunuch reading from the text. He's reading the Isaiah scroll, and and Philip overhears the man reading this, and, and Philip asks this question in verse 30. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replies, wow, human conversation, powerful. So revelational, right? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me. And then he urges Philip to come up into the carriage and to sit with him. Um, Orthopathy literally means um, the right passions or values. It means you have a passion for what God has a passion for. It means you care about what God cares about. It means you become heartbroken over what breaks the heart of God. And Discipleship. This is my second point. Discipleship is motivated, is motivated by the genuine care and concern for others. Philip has a genuine concern for this man who is nothing like him. Concern enough to say, "Hey, I heard you reading that. Do you understand that?" And the eunuch has enough concern for Philip. Not to blow them off, after all, the Philip, Philip was just this deacon who was wandering down this desert road. It's kind of weird, right, to have some guy run up to you on a desert road, and as your carriage is moving, he's like, hey, how's it going? Oh, you got Isaiah scrolls, cool. Hey, do, you, do you get that? I mean, the, the eunuch was somebody who was powerful, He would travel in a caravan. He was well protected. This was somebody who had traveled extensively, was was knowledgeable in different languages, was highly uh, educated and cultural. He was a representative of a powerful government. I mean, his Secret Service could have came and just squashed Philip, but he didn't. He answered Philip because he has concern for him as well. And not only answers Philip, but does what? Invites him to come and join him in the, in the carriage, right? You see this care and concern one to the other here. Um, th- this is what we would call the education of the heart. And where does the education of the heart happen? It happens in your home, work, church, the gym, your kids' baseball tournament. Those are the classrooms for the education of the heart. That's where the heart gets educated, in community With others. Who is the teacher in the education of the heart? Your neighbors are your teacher. As you talk to them, as you share life with them, as you hear their struggles, as you hear their stories, as you hear their questions, as you hear their life, your neighbor becomes your teacher. Listen, we cannot show the care and concern of God for others only in principle. Imagine if, if Philip would have been running next to the eunuch and he says, do you understand that? And the eunuch said, no, unless somebody shares me. What if Philip would have said, oh, man, all right, I'm going to pray for you. Or, all right, you know what, I'm going to give to an Ethiopian uh, evangelist, uh, evangelist fund to hope one day you become you know, a follower of Jesus. I mean, we cannot only apply this in principle, the care and concern that God has for others is what we should apply and practice for people. It's what motivates uh, discipleship. Relationship is the vehicle in which we are invited to live the life of faith. And it's this relationship that begins here with Philip just showing concern and care for someone by asking, hey, do you understand what you're reading? It's interesting that in this exchange, uh, Philip listens first, Right? He heard him reading the scroll. He doesn't begin right away dominating the conversation, but it's important to share when you share concern and care for your, your brother or your sister or your friend or your family or your coworker, that you learn to listen. You can learn a lot from listening. Remember, they are teaching you about them. It's the education of the heart. He expresses concern by initiating the dialogue, asking the question. Again, the differences didn't stop Philip from asking. And that's something that we've become very good at, like, I cannot talk to you because I don't agree with you, I don't think like you, I don't vote like you, I don't dress like you, I don't relate like you, so there's no room for conversation here. These were two drastically different people geographically, racially, sexually, socially, and yet they have this conversation because Philip cared. And the eunuch cared enough to invite Philip into the carriage, Jesus ministered to the Gentiles, and so did Philip. Remember, he had just came from Samaria where he was converting Samaritans, and now there's this, this Ethiopian eunuch, and it's, it's, it's Philip caring about what God cares about, that all racial, geopolitical, societal walls would come down and the message of the gospel would go forth. That's what God cares about that's what we need to care about and when we're motivated by care and concern for people that's where discipleship lives this amazing human conversation I experienced this um, with a co-worker of mine I'll just share quickly um, she when we met about nine years ago about 10 years ago 2012 she was angry at God she was uh, highly skeptical a non-believer. She was raised nominally Catholic, south side of Chicago. Um, and I would you know, work with her closely. We, we had the same job. We were training teachers. We were teachers of teachers, which is an interesting gig, because um, teachers make some of the worst students, by the way. Um, so we're teaching teachers, and we would work together. We would collaborate. And, and during one fasting season, um, I came in with my water during lunch, and she had her full spread. And she's like, why you eating? So I'm telling her, you know, hey, I'm fasting. And she's like, what, are you on a diet, trying to lose weight, like trying to, you know, get healthier? So I, we initiated conversations. And her scoffing and her criticizing and her not getting it and her judging and her negative comments could have pushed me away from her. But we kept talking, we kept talking, we t- kept talking. And talk about education of the heart. She was teaching me about her life and teaching me about what was breaking her heart. And her brokenness broke me. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, right? Jesus, as he overlooked Jerusalem and saw how far they were from God, he didn't get angry. He didn't cast them out. He didn't throw up his hands and say, I'm done with these. No, he He wept. His heart broke over their brokenness. And the greatest opportunities for discipleship is when our heart breaks over broken people. And my heart broke for her, so so I continued to to just hear her out and talk to her. And my wife and I would both hear her out and talk to her. And and over years of conversations, slowly the hardness of her heart began to go down. I'm talking 10 years of conversations. During the pandemic, she started texting me like, hey, I'm joining a Bible study. And I was like, whoa, what? And on January twenty eighth, two 2021, she gave her life to the Lord. Yeah, she did. Right, I was part of that journey. All I was doing was showing care and concern for her and, and, and saying, let's talk, let's talk this through. Um, on June 5th of this year, she went home to be with the Lord. 47 years old, cancer. Um, and as her body began to fail and as her flesh began to give out, Um, Over text, she would say, you know, it's only God that's sustaining me right now. I believe these last months of her knowing the Lord and coming to a relationship with him was preparation for her to go be in his presence. Um, Yeah. Care and concern. Human conversation. Everyday life. Work. Discipleship theology, not part of the equation. I wasn't trying to, you know, over-theologize things or over-explain things to her. I was, I was learning her heart by, by asking questions, listening to her, and just responding with my belief that God is in control of all things and he's leading me and I just want to be obedient to him. And through that, this discipleship relationship started and now she's with Jesus. The last part is orthopraxy. Orthodoxy, the right beliefs that God is in control of all things, the orthopathy that our discipleship should be motivated, pushed forward by a deep concern and care for people. Now let's look at the action that Philip takes, the right action, the praxis. Verse 35 says So, the beginning with that scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. So, beginning right where they were at, Philip begins to share Jesus with this eunuch. Just explain Jesus to him. And as they went further down the road in verse 38, they came to some water and Philip what? Baptized the eunuch. Um, the, the 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 orthodoxy and the orthopathy inform the actions. It's because of your great faith that God is in control and if he's called you somewhere, he's positioned you somewhere, you'll you'll believe him. And it's from this great care and concern of our of our heart to break for what God breaks for and to care what God uh, cares for. It's from the pathy and the doxy that informs the praxis. Our Paul Stevens, who has a whole ministry on work theology, on how we live out our faith in everyday life, writes this. What is this practice? What is this praxis? He says, practices are those that are in harmony with God's kingdom in the church and the world that bring value And good into the world. So what are these practices? These are practices that come into harmony with what God's kingdom is about. And and they bring value to the world. They bring value to the church. So discipleship, my last point. Discipleship is advanced by taking actions and steps that are rooted in hope and in faith. It's through doing that we know It's like what Luke's gospel teaches us in Luke 10 28, when when they were asking Jesus, How will I inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, He says, Do this, then you shall live. It's through the doing that we learn. It's through the doing. And I'm not saying this is a, a works based faith but faith without works is dead, right? I mean, there's a balance there. That's part of the gospel message as well. And what I'm saying is what's in your head and in your heart has to reach the hands and there needs to be action applied here. And, and, And Jesus says, do this, then you shall live. Now, these are not religious activities. What I'm doing here, preaching a message, shepherding people, teaching the Bible can be a very secular thing. If faith is not in it. You could shepherd people, you could preach a sermon, you could teach the Bible, and you could do it in a secular fashion if faith is not in it. What we're describing here is the everyday activities that when blended with faith become something uniquely Christian. Changing your child's diaper can become a Christian practice. Having lunch with a coworker. Conducting a Zoom meeting, washing dishes—if blended with faith—makes it a Christian practice. And these are opportunities that we experience in our daily lives. And unless we kind of rethink our idea of theology and of discipleship being something that only happens in the context of these four walls, or our small group, or, or, or you know some other ministry work, um, we will never really become. The, the, the Christian who experiences these three components coming together of saying, man, I could be a disciple maker in my everyday life by taking what I believe, by being attuned to God's heart and to applying it with my hands. This opens up the reality of our lives to see every day as opportunities for ministry. Philip explains Jesus. This is the application. Philip explains Jesus to this eunuch. The eunuch invites Philip into the carriage. No theological debates. And I believe the eunuch hears Jesus explained. And when he is explained in a way where he understands that Jesus, too, was humiliated, that Jesus, too, suffered, that Jesus, too, was seen as the outsider, that Jesus, too, was the outcast, that Jesus too was called out, that Jesus too was considered a mit- fit, misfit. Just like this eunuch, the eunuch's heart opens up and in faith receives Jesus. Now, what makes practices uniquely Christian is faith. Because many of you may have experienced this just because you shared Jesus with somebody doesn't mean they're going to receive it, right? I would lean to say more often than not, most people will reject you when you try to share your faith with them. But yet we apply the practice of sharing Jesus. Why? Because it's done in faith. It's rooted in the hope that this person will receive this, and in faith, God, you will move in their heart. That's a big obstacle to come through. Part of the reason why our our theology never becomes practical, never becomes praxis, is a lack of faith. Man, they're going to shut me down they're not going to receive it. They're going to reject me. I'm going to get some pushback for this. And and, and we, we stop short of sharing Jesus with others when that's exactly again, the call to make disciples is what? To share Jesus with others. Action in faith is not measured by efficiency. Now this is Maybe perhaps part of the reason why we stop short of sharing Jesus is because we're so results-oriented. Nobody loves to fail, do they? Nobody does well with rejection, do they? I've never met a person that I've met or had a meeting with and say, you know what I love, Juan? I love being rejected, man. There's just nothing better than feeling rejection. Rejection. And we live in such a performance-based culture that when we share Jesus and we get rejected, we walk away generally feeling like we're a failure, don't we? Like, man, I flopped and I blew that one. Praxis that's done in faith is not measured in efficiency. There's not a scorecard to be checked off. You're not doing this to receive points with Jesus in heaven. You're doing this because you're called to be what? Faithful. And to share Christ with others. So let's have a paradigm shift where we don't become so results-oriented, and, it, and that uh, fear of the result holds us back from doing what Jesus has uniquely called to do as Christians, which is share his message of hope and faith to others. Philip throws it out there. No guarantees the eunuch would receive it, but he did, but he did, and that's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. So let's wrap up. And I'm going to invite Ed down in a minute. He's going to lead us in communion. True discipleship is where seekers find their way to Jesus and follow him. And the place where it's found is this nexus, this sweet spot, of the head, of the heart, and of the hands. Let's not be a people who are drowning in our theology, that we see it divorced from our everyday life, from the reality of of living. But let us be a people who see the God opportunities in the day-to-day, in the lunches with coworkers, in the little league tournaments that you go to, in the runs to the supermarket, on your posts and social media, in your interactions with family, at birthday parties. All of those, I believe, are God opportunities that God wants to use, that God wants to... Uh, has uniquely positioned you in to be used to be a vessel of real discipleship, could we pray father we 're thankful, Lord, for your word. Thank you God, that you 've left us with prime examples, Lord, of what discipleship could be, of what evangelism could be God, of what of reaching others with the good news of Jesus could be God God lead us to be people that would not be stuck just in principle, but that we would move principle to practice. That we would be people who are motivated by your deep love and concern for your creation, for your people. God, lead us in a way where we understand, Lord, that we're to walk by faith and not by sight, and that whatever we do in your name, God, is not rooted or graded on human scale, God, where human elements can reward and acknowledge, but Lord, you see it. You acknowledge it. You reward it. So I pray for everyone here, God, those watching online, that we would heed the Great Commission, that we would go and make disciples as you commanded us to do, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Hey church family, we're gonna go ahead and uh...